Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 to 51, and can be found on, found on page 1647 on your pew Bibles. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite, in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under, still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you you were under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Most of us, at some point or another, have had to move from one place to another. It's actually kind of an interesting part of living in our area. Very few of us have lived in this area our whole lives. What that means is that all of us at some point have had to start our life over. We've had to leave our families or our old friends, even if we really liked them, so that we could live in this area. And that meant that we needed to make all kinds of new friends. And we may even have started new families. And what that means is that most of us, by the time we were adults, have had completely new beginnings. It's kind of crazy when that happens, isn't it? I remember thinking when I went to college 700 miles away from home that nobody who, met, who knew me at college actually knew me. And the kind of scary thing was that I could really be whoever I wanted to be at school. Nobody expected me to act like I did before I came to college because they didn't know who I was before. And honestly, I rather liked my social life at home. So it was a real adjustment to figure out who I was in a completely different community. I couldn't just be the nerd because practically the whole school was as nerdy as I was. <laughs> I had to develop completely different parts of my personality to find my place in college. It was hard, but it was also exhilarating. I felt like the guardrails were off and I was finally doing stuff of real consequence. Now, a lot of people in that situation were a lot more excited to start a new life than I was. Some people even decided to go by different names. My friend Andrew started going by Andy and my other friend Alex started going by Xander. They, they really embraced that moving to a whole new place could mean that they could become a whole new person. And they formalized it. They could say, look, I'm not Andrew anymore, I'm Andy. And they could say that to themselves, too. New beginnings can be really exciting. Now, something really similar is going on in the passage we just read. Jesus is offering Israel a new beginning. Jesus says in our passage, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's almost the exact same as what it says in Genesis 28. 
There it said that Jacob saw a vision of angels ascending and descending from heaven on a ladder to him. Now here Jesus says that Nathaniel will see angels ascending and descending onto Jesus himself. Now remember that Jacob was one of the most important ancestors of the Israelite people. In fact, the name Israel comes from the name that God gave Jacob. If you remember, the 12 tribes of Israel were named after Jacob's sons. Jacob was the very beginning of this new nation that God was calling into existence. And now what Jesus is saying here is that he is a new Jacob, the beginning of a new Israel. God is starting over and creating a new people from him, except this one will come from every tribe in the world. Okay, so I just referenced a really obscure passage from the Old Testament, and I used the word Israel like 14 times in different ways. So if your eyes glazed over, here's the gist of it. Jesus in this passage is offering all of humanity, each one of us, a new beginning. Israel was a nation called to really great things through God, but they screwed it up in every way possible. And you might feel like things have gone really similar for you. And there's a good reason for that, and it's not because you're really different or worse than any other person. Just like this whole nation of Israel wasn't all that different from other nations, the Bible says that the reason that is because all of us have been born into warped and bent nature. You, can't, you can tell it's the case if you look long enough. You'll find yourself wanting things that are most destructive for you. You want the stuff that's going to make you a slave so you can't really be who you're meant to be. You want drugs and junk food and pornography and hate the stuff that really is good for you. When people might start real intimate relationships with you, you push them away. When you could learn from people, you find yourself competing over who's smarter instead. I mean, don't you hate vegetables? The, the Bible says that this whole power that makes us hate the things that are best for us and love the things that are worse for us is called sin. It traps us in slavery. Because freedom isn't just a matter of doing whatever you want, because often, if you do whatever you want, you'll choose slavery to one thing or another, whether drugs or addictions or work or whatever. All of humanity is trapped in it. And you can see why that might be the case. Sin tends to multiply and make people less able to resist it. Think about how, for instance, an abusive father makes it harder for his children to be good parents or how a small spat between two people so easily becomes a giant fat fight between a dozen people with everyone swearing that they'll never talk to each other again. Now, multiply that dynamic across all of humanity, and you see why we might be in the mess that we're in. It's all death. A spread of death across every aspect of our lives and a foretaste of death long before we die. But this same Jesus Christ from this passage was also somehow God himself. And so that meant that he could overcome this whole dynamic and live a perfect life, just like we're called to. And on the cross, he bore the full weight of our sin to liberate us from slavery to it. And somehow, even more than that, he rose from the dead. And his new body after rising from the dead is the very beginning of a whole new humanity. By believing in him, we are infused with the power of his resurrection. In other words, just like how one bad thing that a person does can have ripple effects all over the world, multiplying sin for us all, so also the amazing love and obedience of Jesus in his death and resurrection ripples across all of humanity, giving us a fresh start. And in that fresh start, we're called to be a different kind of life. 
We're called to be a whole new humanity. We're given a new name, just like my friends decided to go by different names in college. We're called to do what's best for us, and not just for us, but for everyone around us. We're set free from slavery to the things that destroy us, like addictions and breaking relationships and the need to prove ourselves. Instead, God helps us to want and to love the right things, the things that make us more truly who we were meant to be, and to bless our community as well. This new beginning is a wonderful thing, because we're given the power through Christ to be free from slavery, and instead serve the God we were always meant to serve. But if we're part of a new humanity, that means that we're not alone in all this. We're part of a church, and that church is that new humanity. And it's not just a bunch of individuals being redeemed by themselves, but one whole nation that's set free together. It's no coincidence that when Jesus chose 12 disciples to begin his ministry, just like there were 12 tribes of Jacob and 12, or 12 sons of Jacob and 12 tribes of Israel. What he's saying is that a whole new nation is being born through his ministry, and that he will be the start of it. That nation will carry with it all the promises that God had made to the first Israel, but will actually fulfill its role in the world. Just like through Israel, all the nations of the world were supposed to be blessed. Now through Jesus and through this new Israel, this new humanity, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Just like through Israel, God's presence was meant to return to creation, now through Jesus, God's presence really did return to creation, except in completely literal ways. Jesus is actually God, and therefore God with us. And he sent us the promised Holy Spirit, so that God does not dwell in some temple somewhere, but in our very hearts. Now Jesus makes another subtle reference to the story of Jacob here. When Nathanael comes to him, he says, here truly is an Israelite without deceit. That's kind of a weird thing to say to a person, right, when you first meet them. No, hey, what's your name? I'm Jesus. I saw you over there by the fig tree. What's up? No, just very intensely. Here truly is an Israelite without deceit. But it makes sense when you remember that Jesus has already made reference to the story of Jacob. And he's making another one here now. If you remember, Jacob from the book of Genesis wasn't exactly the most straightforward guy. In fact, the name Jacob was a pun, which basically means trickster. Jacob's father, Isaac, was basically blind and wanted to give a blessing to his eldest son, Esau. But Jacob put on a bunch of, bunch of fake hair to pretend to be Esau, because Esau was really hairy. Um, so then Isaac blessed him and was tricked into giving Jacob his whole inheritance. Basically, every time that Jacob was in trouble, his first instinct was to trick people to get out of it. In other words, unlike Jacob, his ancestor, Nathaniel is not a trickster. The old nation of Israel was flawed from the very beginning. Its very ancestors were tricksters and liars and robbers. This new Israel will be different. The old Israel failed to obey God's laws from the beginning, but Jesus was starting fresh with himself, just like the Old Testament said would happen. And that new Israel is the one we're all a part of. Now, again, Jesus was referencing stories that everyone around him knew, but we might not know. But the gist of it is that we're called to a really high standard. Christians are called to a mission that's very similar to the mission that the Israelites were called to, except that we have no excuses for not living up to it. We can't just say, well, we sin because it's in our human nature. No, we have been given a whole new human nature because of Christ's resurrection, which is one that is just the beginning of the perfect new heavens and new earth. 
When we're tempted, we're tempted to choose the old world and our old identity and our old human nature, which was corrupted by sin and death. Even small temptations are a big deal because they're our opportunity to choose between our new identity and a new Israel and this old identity. Every temptation is a battle of cosmic significance. Will we be a part of the old cosmos, which is afflicted by suffering and pain, or will we be part of the solution, bringing our smallest little part of the new and perfect world to this old and broken one? And when we see suffering in this world, we can't be tempted to say, where is God? Why is he not present with the ones who suffer? Why should we ask, where is God, when we know that he is present with us in our very hearts through the Holy Spirit? And if God is with us, then our job is to seek out all the godless places of our community and be there for them. Because if God is with us in our very bodies through the Holy Spirit, then God is with those who suffer as long as we suffer with them. Sure, at one time in the old, old Israel, you could accuse God of sitting up on his throne in heaven or staying, staying silent in the temple. But now God is present throughout the whole world through his people. And we have a real opportunity to show God's presence to those who wonder where he is. Because if we do our, right, our jobs right, they'll see God in us. To those to whom much is given, much is expected. And we have been given a new nature in the resurrected body of Jesus, along with the very presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit. So the expectations ought to be high for this new Israel in the church. So what is this new Israel formed around? It's formed around the recognition that if Jesus is the true king of Israel, the son of God has come to return the presence of God to the world and set it right. The most rational thing to do would be to stop whatever you're doing and follow him. Look up to verses 36 and 37 where John says, Behold the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard that and just dropped everything to come and see Jesus. And then Andrew in verse 41 says, We have found the Messiah. And Simon just drops everything and goes. Same thing for Philip in verses 45 and Nathaniel in verse 46. They all recognize that what it really means that the promised king of the world has come. It means that everything in the world has, that has needed from the very beginning has come. The world is a place where people lie, cheat, and steal to climb all over themselves to the smallest bit of honor. The world has death and evil and suffering all over the place. But these disciples recognize that once you hear the word Messiah or Christ, you know that someone is here who represents a new world, where every tear is wiped away and pain and suffering are no more. Everything sad can come untrue. The things you've struggled for, with, for so long can be conquered. And all of this only as long as you join in with what God is doing in Christ. It almost looks comical in this passage. How can you seriously drop everything and go when someone says five little words? We have found the Messiah. But when you recognize what those words really mean, you'd be a fool to do anything different. And that's at the center of what it means to be Christian. It's giving our loyalty and allegiance to teen Jesus and him alone. It's saying that you would rather follow Jesus wherever he goes and wherever he leads, because what kind of fool will do anything different? Like Peter says, where else would we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. And you can give your loyalty to Jesus no matter who you are. The old Israel was exclusive. You had to have certain parents, or you had to have been the right kind of person. 
This new Israel in the church gives, includes literally everybody who gives Jesus their loyalty. It can be male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, introvert or extrovert, Harvard grad or high school dropout, popular or outcast, good person or bad person, Russian or Ukrainian, Israeli or Palestinian. If you give Jesus Christ your loyalty, you are rightfully a member of the new family of God, which has already spread God's kingdom to the whole world and continues to spread every single day. Now, finally, in this new Israel, the way that new members come to join is through word of mouth. It sounds like an incredibly anticlimactic way for the new world to come, doesn't it? The whole world is saved by the return of God to be present with us in this world. The true king of the universe is staking his claim on his rightful property, and the way that he does that is through word of mouth. Not terribly unlike how many movies or fast food restaurants or car mechanics are marketed through word of mouth. But look at this passage from verses 35 to 51, and the only way that anyone comes to Jesus is through word of mouth. Every single person hears the news that the Messiah has come to the earth through the word of the mouth of some other mere mortal. Not through tons of angels or through an incredible vision. In fact, Jesus himself either does not invite anyone to faith or only invites Philip, depending on how your version translates. It's only through the word of mouth that the newborn kingdom of the Messiah, the Son of God, spreads here. And that continues to be the case today. I really haven't made word of mouth evangelism a big emphasis in my preaching so far. And that's a mistake because I really should. It feels so weird to think that the good news of Jesus the Messiah comes just by people talking to each other. But that's exactly what happens. What it really looks like for this new Israel to expand through the whole earth, to take it over, and to make it into the world that God created it to be, where there's no more crying or pain or suffering anymore, is for us to get out there and tell everybody that the king is really here and he deserves our loyalty. Word of mouth. It's true. I've talked a lot about how building God's kingdom involves doing actions and loving and serving our neighbor, and that's also true. But how will anyone come to see Jesus as their king if no one tells them about them? How could our clumsy and inarticulate word of mouth ever get people to completely change their life to give their loyalty to Jesus? The answer comes at the beginning of chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The very words we use to spread the message that God is saving the world, those very words are actually God himself. It's a crazy miracle, isn't it? But the proof is in the pudding. Look at this passage and you see the miraculous effect of God's word on this world. People say a few quick words and all of a sudden, tons of lives completely change. How could that happen if God was not in those words? And they're not great big eloquent speeches either. None of the people in this passage needed to be trained in rhetoric or in public speaking to say what they said. All they said was, come and see, or we have found the Messiah. It's pretty simple. So what that means is when you're spreading the message of God's kingdom, the power of your words doesn't come from the words themselves. It doesn't come from your own gravitas or charisma. If you're nervous that your words aren't up to the task, know that it has nothing to do with your words because they're not your words. When you're telling people the gospel, you're perpetrating a miracle, and you're trusting in God to perform that miracle. 
because somehow God is in those words. And of course, that's the only way that the whole kingdom of God could be spread through word of mouth. It's the only way that the word of mouth could save the whole world. And it's the only way that five short words like, we have found the Messiah, or three words like, come and see, could actually manage to totally change someone's life entirely. So let's embrace this new beginning that comes from Christ. And let's spread the word that God has liberated us from sin and empowered us to live a new life through him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us a new beginning through your son. Give us the courage to stay loyal to him in all things and to spread the word about your kingdom so that everyone around us would begin to taste your freedom. Amen.